Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, good morning. How are we doing in the room on this Daylight Saving Sunday morning? We good? Perfect. For those of you at home, we know you're doing better. We know you have not left the house yet. So it's good to have you online. It's good to have you in the room. And uh, I can't wait to wrap up the series today called Estimate. Uh, this is a series on finances, on generosity, on giving, and kind of what God says about giving throughout Scripture. So I'm excited you're here, and I can't wait to kind of unpack some of this content with you. Uh, but first, I want to ask you this question. And it's a really important question because the entire sermon is built on maybe how you might answer this question. And the question goes like this, which one matters more? Which one matters more? Obedience, so what you do, or emotions, why you do it? Which one matters more? It's a story, I call it Tale of Two Brothers. The first two brothers ever talked about, uh, even ever created in the world, uh, is found in Genesis. And so in Genesis, uh, it depicts two brothers named Cain and Abel. So Adam and Eve, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, the first two people that God created, had two boys, Cain and Abel. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 4, starting at the end of verse 2. It says, now Abel, who's the younger brother, kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So he worked out in the field. He's the older brother. In the course of time, Cain, the older brother, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel, younger brother, also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but, big but, On Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Why didn't God accept Cain's offering? The matters of the heart are super important because out of the heart come our actions. Abel took care of the flocks, and what it says is Abel, Abel chose one of his best sheep, one of the first sheep, the oldest sheep, the first fruits, as God would call it, even throughout Scripture. He chose the best, and then he not just chose the best sheep, but he chose the best part of the sheep to offer back to God, the fat, the taste, where the savory flavor is. It, what Abel did is he said, I'm going to take the best of the best and the first of the best of the best, and I'm going to give that back to God as an offering to him. But Cain does something a little bit different. Cain says, I'm going to look at what I have, and I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to say, this I think is fair. This is adequate. This is enough. I'm going to take that and present that to the Lord. And what God says is, I accept Abel's I do not accept Cain's, and it broke Cain. It broke Cain. In fact, the first two brothers that happen in Scripture is also the first murder that happens, right? For those of you that have a brother, you've threatened to murder each other before, I'm sure, like I did in my house. Uh, Cain actually did it. 
Cain was so angry. Cain was so upset. Cain was so frustrated that he went out and he murdered his brother out in the field. And it created a distance, a brokenness, not just between the brothers, not just in their family, but in Cain's relationship with God. I want to go back to this question. Which one matters more? Is it obedience or is it emotions? And the answer I want to tell you, even at the beginning, right at the start today, it's both. Oftentimes what we do is we pit things against each other. We do it all the time. Just think about your life. Think about the media. Think about elections. Think about our government, whatever it is. We often pit one thing versus the other. But here's what's so important today is both of these are important in the kingdom of God, but we treat them differently. So check this out. We often overestimate our emotions, Particularly when it comes to giving and tithing and generosity, what our natural reaction or our gut reaction to do is to overestimate how I feel in the moment. That's kind of our natural bend. We overestimate, we, we give too much credit to sometimes the emotions that we feel in the moment, but then we do something different with obedience. Sometimes we underestimate what following through and doing what God has outlined for us to do, we underestimate that. We say, well, I mean, it's not that important. As long as my heart's in it, that's what's important. As long as I have a good intention, that's what's important. We often treat both of these very different, but they're very significant. We overestimate how I feel, and sometimes we underestimate what I do. And so as we're talking about money today, I understand this is a hard topic for many to talk through, uh, especially in the church, right? This is a hard thing to talk about, um, but something that we just have to acknowledge too, all of us deal with money. Uh, all of us are especially dealing with money right now, right? Thank you, Uncle Sam, right? We're getting a lot that's headed our way. Anybody else? Wow, okay, maybe I'm the only one. All right, sorry for you guys. Well, we're all dealing with money. It's important, it's an aspect of life, it's how we live, it's how we spend, it's how we vacation, it's how we do whatever, it's how we retire. I mean, it, we all deal with money. It's very, very important, but money is this funny thing. I mean, sometimes it's like radioactive, like you need it to live, you need it to survive, you need it for certain aspects of life, but it can also kill you. All of us know this, money, or maybe you don't know this, money is actually the number one cause of divorce in our country. Um, that more people look at money, uh, those who are divorced, more people look at money and they say, it was issues financially that we had. We couldn't get on the same page or we struggled or we were in debt or money was the main stressor in our marriage that ultimately led to divorce. Money is a huge issue in our country and it's also divisive. It's also very divisive. I mean, I mentioned the stimulus check and the stimulus package. It's super divisive depending on who you talk to. Some are totally in the camp and say we absolutely need it, and others say we absolutely do not need it, and we, whatever. And we're fighting back and forth about this tool, this thing called money, and what are we actually supposed to do with it? But I hear a lot of statements in the church, and so I want to say thank you to those of you uh, who have posted online, because you are helping contribute to my content this morning. Uh, I hear two things on a pretty regular basis as a pastor, uh, but also online. And so the first one goes like this. Common statements that I hear from church people or in the church is this, Jesus replaced the tithe. That's number one. Some of you, as you're thinking or reflecting, maybe you go, yeah, I've said that, or I believe that, or I think that, but no problem. We're going to unpack that together, and I want to point to you in Scripture uh, actually what it says, and you can draw your own conclusion. But number two, it says this one. 
I can give to God in other ways besides my money. And this one always makes me smile. Um, Not just as a pastor. I have no agenda for you. I don't care what you do with your money. That's that's between you and God. Um, But what, what it makes me laugh is as I've learned in my role as a pastor to look for the thing below the thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like for people to say, it's okay to give to God in other ways besides my money. It makes me want to go, so tell me about your money. Why is that so important to you? Why, why do you have a grip on that? Why, why, why is there a rub here? I pay attention to where there's friction. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pay attention to friction. Here's what Jesus says. Knowing money causes friction. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. He says, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, I hate how that verse ends. Can I just be honest and say that from this stage? I hate that verse because it touches a piece of my heart that I don't want to be touched. I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to acknowledge that money and God are at odds in my heart. And what Jesus said to his own people, to his own disciples, not to the people out there, to the people in here, he says, hey, you can't do both. You love one and you hate one. Which one is it? Uh Uh-oh. So welcome to Estimate. Week three, we're in it. Here we go. Let's keep going. Let's talk about the tithe. The tithe is actually first introduced uh, in scripture in Genesis. Um, What we just talked about, Cain and Abel, it actually had a different word. It said offering. And we're going to talk about offering in a second. But tithe was first introduced in Genesis chapter 14 in Abraham. So Abraham, the quick Sparknotes version of Abraham, uh, God selected Abraham. He said, I'm calling you out of your place, out of your place of living, out of your homeland, and I'm going to bring you to a new place. And by the way, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. What great offer. I mean, think about it. God speaks that you hear him. It's undeniable. And he says, I choose you. And Abraham, here's what God said. It's amazing. He makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I will use you, Abraham. I will bless you. I will give you so much more than you need. I will give you so much more than you actually need to live and survive. I will bless you. You will be rich. You will be powerful. You'll be all this, but not for your sake, not for your benefit, but I'm going to bless you for the purposes of blessing the world that all of the world will know that I am your God based on you and what I do for you. What a deal for Abraham. So Abraham is actually fighting. He's at war with some of his enemies. And it says, God delivers the enemies into Abraham's hands. And so the high priest, his name was Melchizedek. He comes before Abraham. They meet afterwards. Abraham has plundered these cities. God gave them over just in miraculous ways. And so Melchizedek says, Abraham, blessed are you. And blessed is God who delivered you. And it says in that moment, very quickly, it says, and Abram, Abram or Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The tithe. Tithe means 10. And it's the first 10. We always have the first 10. So Abram gives the tithe. God then later lays out what the tithe looks like throughout the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he set up a system in which God's people were to relate to God with their money. 
And it happened in the tithe. But here's the thing, if you're sitting here right now, and if you've heard, if you're a church person, if you grew up in church, uh, if you know this, if you talked about tithe before, um, you've heard of the tithe, right? You've heard of 10%. Uh, what I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm just going to brace you. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse as the message goes on, okay? So if you're taking notes, just write, about to get worse. Here's the worst uh, for the Israelites. The Israelites actually never gave just 10%. So we're going, oh, dang it. All right. What was it? Was it 12? Was it 15? It was 23. There are three different tithes, three different tenths. So imagine the first 10, the second 10, and then the third 10. The first 10 went to God. It was like for the care of the people and sacrifices and, and the, the sacrificial system and the offerings and blah, 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 blah. There were three different tithes, number one, number two, and then number three was every three years. That's how we get 3%. So it was every three years, you gave another 10%. So God set up this system in which the people were dependent on God for a couple different reasons. So if you've ever asked this question, why does the tithe exist? Three things. Number one, looks like this. Everything was from God. As we give the first 10% back to God, as we return it, the reminder that God has built into the way we do life and manage our money points back to this truth. Everything we have is from him anyway. Our natural reaction, our natural inclination is going to be to create distance from God and from other people. It's called independence. We love it so much in this country, we have a day devoted to it. God said, my people are different. My people are dependent. And everything they have comes from me. So number one reason why we tithe, why God set up tithing from the very beginning is for that, because everything comes from him. Number two is this, they're on a mission with God. God's people are on a mission with God. When God said to Abraham, I'm gonna bless the world through you, that started with Abraham, but it culminated with Jesus. God said, I'm inviting you to be a part of my plan and my mission. And so your money is our money to accomplish our vision, which is really God's vision. And it's his mission for this world to save it and to bless it through his people. But then there's number three, and number three is important. It goes like this. Money is the biggest competitor for your heart. Money is the number one competitor for your heart. And God knows that. God knows that because we, we drift back into independence. We drift back into greed. We drift back into power. We drift back into control. And God says, those things will kill you if you have them. Let me have those. Let me have those for your life. This, if you've ever wondered, why do we tithe? Why does the church tithe? Why did the tithe ever exist from the beginning? It's these three things. Super important. Matthew 23, verse 23, uh, what I hear a lot of people say going back to that thing is, well, Jesus replaced the tithe. Well, let's look at what Jesus actually said about the tithe. Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Never a great opening line, right? It's like they're immediately on guard and now they're defensive. Here's what Jesus says. You give a tenth. What's a tenth? Just making sure you're still with me. Tenth is a tithe. Mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This is like a tongue twister for me in my mind. 
You should have practiced this without this. Here's what my mind wants to jump to. He's saying, you should have cared about justice, mercy, and faithfulness at the expense of your tithe. Is that what he's really saying, though? What, what's he really saying? You should have done both. And you missed it. And here's where it stings. You're a leader. You're a church leader. People look to you. People follow you. That makes you a hypocrite because you're teaching them to do something that you're not doing yourself. That's from Jesus. So what were those three reasons? We're gonna put them back up. The three reasons that the tithe always existed. Everything was from God. We were on a mission with God and money is the biggest heart competitor. And so this next piece, I, I really struggled with how to articulate this because you need to understand it and you need to come to this conclusion because it's about you and God. So you come to the conclusion, here's as I've studied what you need to know, and I'm gonna be super transparent with you, is in the New Testament, after Jesus goes to the cross, tithing is not mentioned in the affirmative or in the negative. There's nothing in there that says you need to keep tithing. And there's also nothing in there that says you no longer need to tithe. Do you remember when I said the message was going to get worse? It's about to get worse. There's nothing that mentions anything about the tithe from that point on. But what you need to understand about the Bible is there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. And what do we love to do as people? We love to pit them against each other. And we love to say, well, the Old Testament is old. See you later. And the New Testament is new and it doesn't talk about it. So we're moving on. And here's how it works for real. The Old Testament lays a foundation and the New Testament builds on it. So we're in trouble if we start pitting these things against each other. We need to remember they work together. That's so important for us to get. Nothing else in scripture works like that where they're opposed. Everything, including Jesus, builds. So here's the conclusion that I've come to on tithing. And this, this is for David, but I, I think this is for our church. So just hear this. I think if none of the reasons for tithing have changed, Everything still comes from God. We're still on a mission with God. And money is the number one competitor for our hearts. If nothing has changed and it's no longer mentioned, pretty sure we should keep going. I'm pretty sure that defines the starting line. And then you'll understand based on now when it's going to get worse. Let's go. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. He goes like this. This is Paul talking. Paul is writing a letter to another church and he says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Breathe for one second. Okay. Ah, okay, the goal today is not to compulse you and it's not to guilt you, but it is to inform you. Is that fair? My goal is not to, to twist you, convert you, manipulate you. I, I don't wanna do any of that for you. Right? That's between you and God. That's the Holy Spirit. He, he'll work in your heart. My goal is to inform you. 
But this word that Paul uses, it's such an interesting word. It's the word generously. Do you know what the word generously actually means or or what the actual word is in Greek? I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read this one and I went, now that's fascinating. The word for generously is this word right here. It looks like this, eulogia. What word does that sound like in English? Eulogy. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? That the same word we get for the accounts and the remarks of people about a person after they have passed away, that same word shares the root for generosity. Huh. Is it possible that we don't have a eulogy written for us at the end of our lives? Is it possible that we are actually instrumental in writing our own eulogy? That how we live, how we act, how we give is actually writing our eulogy. It's just somebody else's job to put it together after we die. That there's something that lives beyond, as far as generosity goes, beyond ourselves. Because everything's from God. Because we're on a mission from him. Because this thing, money, like we talked about earlier, it's this thing that we need, but it's also this thing that can make an eternal impact if it's used wisely, the way that God outlines it. So here's here's what you need to know just as we talk about this. I'm going to juxtapose tithing and offering. Offering actually takes place all throughout the Old Testament as well. And offerings would take place above and beyond tithing. So a a common misconception or problem that we have, especially in the church, is we we tend to merge the two together, right? We'll say, hey, uh, we're going to move into a time of giving for your tithes and your offerings. If we're uneducated or if we just don't know, if we miss it, it's easy to go, oh, those are synonyms for one and the same thing. But they're not. Throughout the Old Testament, offerings were something different. God set up tithes as far as like, hey, this is a law. This is a rule. This is how you will relate to me. These are things we're going to to enact because it's what you are to do the way that God has set up life. But then offering was like a special circumstance. And an offering function like this, when there's a break in relationship between you and God, something dies. When there's a break in your relationship with God, something dies dies. In order for it to be made right again, something must die. Blood must be shed. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal to provide covering for them. That's very symbolic. So as you track all throughout the Old Testament, offerings took place to right broken relationships. That's why offerings existed. So imagine the comparison and imagine the significance when all of scripture points and builds up to Jesus, who God refers to as his first fruits, which incorporates the tithe, but also incorporates and culminates the entire sacrificial system that culminates with Jesus. And God says, this is what changed. This is Old Testament to New Testament. Old Testament was old law, sacrifice. If you do something wrong, you steal, you hurt, you sin, something dies in your place, usually a sheep. Something that was innocent, something that was pure, something that was perfect, something that was valuable. It died in your place. So now Jesus functions as the substitute. Jesus 
put a capstone on the sacrificial system. Does this make sense? The tithing system never changed. It was built upon. The sacrificial system culminated with Jesus. So now this word generosity, generously, or offering, was above and beyond what was made right between us and God now actually has a place in our relationship with him where we are no longer required, we are no longer compulsed, we are no longer obligated, we no longer fall under this old law or old system, however we function out of relationship. Totally different. And that's the offering. So let's keep reading here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, he's talking about God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul is making a direct connection, a direct correlation between the Old Testament, the old way of life, the tithes and the offerings. And he's saying, hey, there's an eternal impact that is at play if you live this way. He culminates it with this. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, which is important, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others. Others will praise God. Now catch these two very important words. For the what? For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Isn't it crazy how when you understand how everything works together, there's nothing new, there's nothing unforeseen, there's nothing out of the order. It, it literally, everything points in the exact same direction, even to the point of a letter being written from one church to another after Jesus had already ascended into heaven. They're saying, this is the system. There's the tithe. There is the obedience piece. We talked about earlier, we often underestimate obedience. That is still very much at play, but then we overestimate emotion. We can't juxtapose them or, or pit them against each other. They work fluidly together. So what does generosity look like? As I was preparing for this message, uh, I was thinking back to my life. Uh, I grew up in the, the home of a pastor, and so tithing was always a part of me growing up. And my dad used to do allowance for us in $1 bills <laughs> so we could make it rain. And that's what I did. I walked around. And what he would do is he'd sit us all down at the table, and he would teach us. And he'd say, okay, you guys are getting $10 for allowance today. You know, and I, maybe you're like me. I'd start adding up. I'm like, we haven't had allowance in like four months. I'm getting, this is a rip, but okay, whatever. So we're focused. And he goes down, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And he said, okay, the first dollar, where does it go? And what he was doing, it goes to God. And he said, the second dollar goes to savings and then you live on the rest. That's what he taught me very early on. So when I first met Shannon, probably six or seven years ago, something like that, uh, I met her family uh, and I started learning and hearing about her grandpa. 
Her grandpa, uh, for most of his life, was a truck driver. Traveled all over the United States, was a big, you know, 18-wheeler semi-driver. And uh, was just, his heart was so on fire for the Lord. Just loved him. And, and at one point, uh, the truck driving business was so difficult on him and his family. Uh, he would wake up at like 2.30 in the morning to be at work by 3.30. Like it was just really taxing and it was taking his availability and his time. And so he, as his generosity had grown over the course of his life, um, he had actually, <laughs> he made an offer to God and said, God, if you would provide a way for me to provide for my family in a way that is not trucking, I'll give you half. It, just half of what I get. My, there's the tithe, but then there's the offering. I, I'll give you half. You know, what's crazy is he, he actually did have an opportunity. He started working, he, he couldn't get hired. Nobody would hire him, but he got a job in the financial industry and he started selling like portfolios and investment and retirement and stuff like that. And within a few short years, he was the number one salesman in the entire company. You know, it's funny as I talked to my father-in-law last night, just tell me about your dad and remind me. And he said, you know, what's funny is our standard of living never changed never changed. We knew the income went way up, but our standard of living never changed. In his early 50s, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, that actually took his life pretty quickly. I think it was within a couple years. And it was at his funeral that the family learned of the extent of his generosity that people were coming out of the woodwork, people from overseas saying, we're missionaries, he's been supporting us for years. People in the church who he discipled and taught about giving and generosity are actually in ministry today. People who had help or people who needed help, people who had needs, he would write, think about this, generosity, not just with giving, not just financially, he would write letters to people who had cancer and encourage them and point them to the gospel of Jesus. And people were being led to the Lord by his generosity his eulogia. I never got to meet him. Man, I wish I did. But he's impacted me. He's impacted how I see money, how I see stuff, how I treat generosity. And I tell you what, when you understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can only be moved towards generosity in return. I love this church. Blake just mentioned there's 102 names on that wall because of your giving, because we're here, because we're reaching people. But don't ever let that be the finish line. There's churches that need planting all over the world. There's people right now who are hungry and thirsty. There's people who need medical attention. There's kids, there's orphans that need families. Don't, don't, don't just be legalistic here with your money. Be generous. Make an impact. Change the world while we still can. I just want to close with this. How generous do you want to be? And then make it happen. How? Two things. Automate your obedience. You don't need a lot of emotion to be obedient. You really don't. Automate it. We live in a world today where we can automate our giving, we can automate our tithe, we can do that without thinking, and, and we're obedient. We fall under and obey what God has instructed us to do. But then number two is this, and then be generous to a fault. 
then function out of your emotions. Look for the Holy Spirit to stir in your heart, to stir your very soul, to move and to give generously in a way that makes a difference. This will change your life and it'll change the lives of a lot of other people in your wake. Father, we just come before you right now and we just pray that you would raise up a church that is generous. Father, so many of us have an apprehension to giving. We want to control it. We want to manipulate it. We want to dictate where it goes. And Father, what we know is that you are the giver of all things and you promise to take care of us. And so Lord, what we pray for right now is that we would trust you. We would trust you with this thing that many of us have a hard time trusting you with. Father, I remember one of the statements that Shannon's grandpa said that I, I keep hearing over and over and over is that we can't outgive you. Father, let that be our goal. <laughs> let us try. Father, just like you did through Abraham, you were a blessing to him to be a blessing to others. You have blessed us so greatly. I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities right now to make a difference in your kingdom. But even more so, I pray for the obedience of your people to lean in, to steward what they have been given from you well and to make a difference in your kingdom. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen.